It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Hey guys, welcome back to the sidelines with Coach Steve. Uh, before I get going today, if you're watching, listening to us on YouTube or anything, like, like and subscribe it. If you're listening to it on podcast form, share it out so I can we can grow this coaching community that we have going on. It's a great thing. Um, today I have a great guest. I have a uh, future high school Hall of Fame coach in my eyes, uh, Coach Joseph. Um, everybody in Illinois probably knows who he is. Um, but just in case anybody that doesn't know who he is, Coach, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Josh Joseph, and I've been the head football coach at Morell Forsyth. This is my 21st year uh, at Morell Forsyth, and uh, we're a 2A school located in central Illinois, just north of Decatur. Yeah, me and Coach just talked about, um, got to play them at 7-on-7, seven seven and they're, they're a 2A school. We were a 4A school, and... Some people thought we'd win, and I laughed, and I said, you don't know what we're walking into. Um, it was 
but you guys run a great seven on seven tournament. It was a fun time. Uh, very well done. Um, the first question I ask everybody, and it's always different, is how did you get into coaching? Because it's a tough profession, but it's rewarding. Um, causes gray hairs. I'm getting mine it coming in as we speak. Um, so how did you get into coaching? Uh, probably the biggest reason I'm into it and why, why I love my job is, uh, you know, first and foremost, the kids, but I had great, um, guys of influence in my life as I, I was growing up. So I had several great youth coaches and then also high school coaches, um, that, that kind of saved me. You know, I, I come from a little bit different background and uh, uh, from, from a split family and kind of raised myself a little bit. And, uh, and because of that, uh, high school athletics were my identity and, uh, and those coaches were my role model. And uh, ultimately, I think that's why I got into it. And that's still why I do it. Yeah, you're doing a great job, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so when you took over, more foresight was it a program that was already kind of like established was it like it is what you have it now or was it like a rebuilding thing like how did that work when you took over uh, Moreau had been to the playoffs five times uh, when I took over in 2001 and um, hopefully we get a season here and a chance to make the playoffs and this would be our 16th year in a row so uh, um they had two state runner-ups in 1981 and 1983. And then kind of after that point, um, there had been three first round playoff experiences and that was uh, basically, basically it. Um, when I got hired, my superintendent said they wouldn't win a game. So uh, that was kind of what I walked into. They did go to the playoffs the year before I got here, but uh, I think they went six and four. But they uh, um, were graduating all of their seniors, and I, I started with 37 kids out for football freshman through senior. I finished with 26 that year. So, Yeah, uh, I've been through that before at small schools. It's not fun. It's not fun to have that little <laughs> many kids. Um, so walking into that, how did you handle, like how did you get more kids to come out and play? Like what was the steps you took? when you were trying to, now you have a lot of kids. I, I've seen it, you guys have a ton of kids now. Um, how were you able to get those kids, like not recruiting them, but to get them to come out and join the team? Well, first off, you got to recruit your own hallways. So uh, that, that's probably the biggest thing that, uh, that I would say. And those relationships are what coaching is all about. You got to start to build those immediately. So, you know, I started walking, working any boy that could walk and chew gum at the same time when <laughs> I was at Moreau and we were here um constantly and, and you get a few kids to buy in and then a few more and a few more and yeah i i would say our our programs typically in the mid 60s uh we've hit a high point of 82 uh but typically somewhere between 65 and 70 kids uh the this year squad i think has 65 on it so um but it's a lot of work a lot of relationships uh, a lot of missed opportunities for kids that you see their potential and they don't see it or they're not willing to invest in the time. Fortunately, I don't deal with those nearly as much now as I did uh, back when we were starting. It's not like the numbers just grew immediately. You know, we were like year 36 and then we were 41 and then we were 45. And so it, it takes a minute for sure. 
And then I think now winning solves a lot of problems when you talk to coaches. Like if you're making playoffs, they're like, that's what gets us the kids. But I was like, it's also relationships too. But like that also helps if you're I, I would Definitely winning helps. But I would definitely say that uh, relationships are where that starts. And then the winning kind of takes care of itself. And, and your culture will help take care of that. I mean, our kids just know that they don't miss weights or they don't miss speed or they don't miss any of those things. And uh, it's not like I have to preach on that. They just understand. Uh, Bill Belichick says it all the time, but the standard is the standard and it doesn't change depending on what class happens to be coming through. Right, I agree. Um, can you? <laughs> it's all right. Sorry. One no, of my assistants is leaving the weight room, so. Nope, it's all good. I'm not that professional on this. We're all good. We're all laid back. Um, so, hey, there's another coach. Hey, um, so I know you guys run a spread offense now. Like, <laughs> Yep. Um, were you always a spread team when you started, or did that kind of, when you took over, did it evolve into what you guys have now? Uh, it's definitely evolves every every year. When I started in 2001, our offense, our base of our offense now is our two-minute offense. So, I mean, it has been here with me since 2001. And I will say, when you're getting your brains beat in, we were in a two-minute offense a, uh, a lot when, when we started out. But I was actually a pro-I uh, wing T team when, when we started, like I said, with the spread two-minute offense. And... Um, kind of adapted on top of that. You know, we used to have two run schemes when I started in our two-minute offense. You know, we still don't have a ton. We only run eight run schemes as it is now, but um, that that is a way that um, our offense has evolved, and we're almost always in the gun now. We're like 85% in the gun, 15% under center. So what made you decide to go from a pro-I to that spread? Because, you know, you always see the big – well, talking about recruiting your hallways, one of the big things that I had to get fixed uh, when, when I started Moreau, our best athletes were playing basketball and baseball and not playing football. So how, how we were going to be able to do that the quickest way was going to be to recruit those kids to get out for basketball or get out from a basketball team. And that was kind of where we went um, to, to start to get those kids out. And, and um, by recruiting our hallways, and running a spread offense where we were going to not have one lead guy, but a whole bunch of players that were going to be able to make plays, I think it helped. Yeah, you hear a lot of coaches say they want to adapt their offense to their kids, which is crazy to me that they won't do something like that. Uh, I I just have, have never really understood that concept. Um, you know, we're, we're going to – we have base theories that we want to be able to do. But, I mean, every class, because we don't get to pick them, you know, is going to come through with a different set of strength. And so just because I say we're a spread team, and we are, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we are going to uh, throw it 50 times a game or, or run it 50 times a game. Uh, our our all-time leading rusher is our quarterback, actually. So uh, Jack Hockaday that played at mm -hmm. Iowa, you know, has over 5,000 yards rushing and a couple 2,000-yard seasons from our quarterback spot. Would he have been a great tailback? Yeah. Would he have been a great receiver or any other thing? He started a Mike linebacker in the Big Ten. So, I mean, he could have done anything. But 
because we had him back there, we were running him 25 times a game and didn't move him to play tailback. So I think our, our coaching staff does a really good job with that. And that's one thing that I don't understand when you're not picking your kids, how it'd be different if you were recruiting kids to fit your system, but you're not, you're taking what walks the hallways. And I think that's probably a really common mistake that people are making in coaching is that they don't change to fit their personnel. Yeah. Do you think you being a spread helps that out a lot? Because I was talking to a coach, if you're a wing T team and you get a kid in that can sling the ball, I feel like it's hard to start spreading it out from a wing T. I'd rather be in the spread where I can like, maybe if I get a kid that can't throw to tighten it in a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it, it does. And I think you have to be a student of the game and, and to be quite honest, some just don't want to do that either. You know, this is what I know. And so this is what I do. And um, that, that does it. Um, so in the off season, um, is there a team or a coach that you research what they do and you try to look at and see if you can't take something from them, whether it's college um, or high school? You know, we watch every week. I think I made five band changes for our team this week based on games that I watched this weekend. So um, that, that um, you know, it happens nonstop. So uh, for, for us, I think I have a great group of guys that watch a lot of football and understand the game of football. And, and I enjoy the game of football as well. So like I said, I, I came in, I think the first email I sent to our guys Tuesday of this week had five changes that I wanted to make and things I wanted to add before our practice on Tuesday uh, night. And obviously we're not playing right now. So the, 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 we would be even better if we were in season and watching those games. So um, I do think you got to be a student of the game and you got to be willing to learn. And there's, uh, you know, if you stay stagnant, somebody's going to catch you. That's for sure. Right. Especially like you guys, you're on top of the hill. They're trying to get you guys, especially like if you're the top dog, they're going to come after you. You got that target on your back. So you've got to, if you run the same thing over and over, they're going to catch you uh, and figure it out. In theory, yes. And we try to stay ahead of the curve. Um, so with your offense, because I know you're the play caller, um, what's your favorite runs, run schemes, or passing? Like, like your bread and butter. What is something that you personally love and say, we're going to do this all the time, year in and year out? Uh, we, we install, I can tell you how we install it first. So we're going to install our uh, quick screen to our split end, and we're going to install our bubble screen to our slot receivers. So as far as passing scheme, that's going to be first. That's going to be first when they start fifth grade tackle football, JFL. It's going to be the first thing those kids learn in the passing scheme. We can build everything off of that as long as we can get the ball out of their hands fast, find a playmaker out there that can do something in space. So that's what everything we base our pass offenses off. It's going to come off of our quick screen game. Uh, to one of those two kids and we can take vertical shots from that uh, that also sets up our run game uh, we think very well because it forces you to defend all 54 yards wide of the field and uh, you know we when we can get your outside backers or your safety scooting over there because we're throwing you know quick screens or uh, bubble screens to to those kids and then can still keep you honest by going up over the top on those 
that's going to set up our inside run game. So if I had to pick two inside run game, it's going to be counter tray or trap. I, I feel like we're pretty good at both of those. So, um, and we, and we treat our quick screen game um, kind of like a perimeter run. I mean, we, we literally expect our kids to complete those 80% of the time. And I mean, we achieve that every year, but again, they start like my son Wade's our quarterback uh, right now, but I mean, he started learning bubble and, and uh, quick screen now screen, you know, when he was in first grade and we started JFL. So, uh, um, and that's just a flag uh, football league that we play ourselves. By the time we get to fifth grade, and they're actually playing other people and it's tackle. I mean, if we feel like it's something we could do. Yeah, that was my next question was how big your youth program was to your guys' success. Cause um, uh, you right. know, it, it, we, you have to have great young coaches to be any good. You have to have great young coaches to be any good at all. And, um, you know, you really have to work at that. I try to not be over involved in our, in our youth program, but, uh, I'm definitely going to give them the playbook and I'm definitely going to pick who is going to be working with our kids. And sometimes it doesn't work out and we have to let them, let them, let them go. I've got a guy that has coached this group that he started coaching them in flag football and he coached our current seniors. He coached from flag football all the way through eighth grade. And he was somebody I knew and trusted and uh, he, he was outstanding. So you kind of pick them like that. They are all created equal. Like John Hockaday was once my JFL coach, and you know he sent two Division One quarter, quarterbacks. You know, uh, for for us, obviously that was outstanding. Then he joined my staff for the next eight years as the boys rolled in. Uh, so, I mean, it it works out, um, but uh, that's a big part. You got to pick the right people, and you got to have good people that are invested. Yeah, a place I coached at, which I told you earlier, I'll stay, stay off of it. The JFL program was so distant from the high school program that it just never worked out. By the time they got to high school, they didn't know what we were doing. They didn't know anything. And the coach I coached for, he told them, he said, when you drive to Rochester, he gave this as an example, do you see five-time state title junior rockets or high school? And the guy said high school. And he goes, there's my point. Because JFL said win, 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 win at all costs. And they run these kids off. And we looked at a class a couple years ago that had 60 kids on JFL. And we're like, that's huge. When they got to high school, there was 22. And, yeah. and he know, I think Coach knows the place I'm talking about, but I kind of keep my mouth shut. But it was just frustrating but, that it kind of turns into that. Um, then up here in Chicago, they have six different JFL teams that filter into six different high schools. Like it's, but those high schools win. And it's crazy how that works. Yeah. You, I don't know. You guys are doing it right there. Um, so uh, we'll get into the COVID thing. So each school district was different. I know for us, I only saw the kids two weeks during the summer. It, it was hard. So how was you and your school district able to handle what you guys were able to do in the summer? Well, I feel like our athletic director, uh, Phil Appleby, he has twin boys that are seniors uh, right right now. And then our administration and our communities and our parents expect our kids to be, you know, really involved in, in our program. So two weeks would be really tough. We missed about a month uh, where we were doing at-home workouts um, where no one was allowed in the school. And that was kind of that shutdown. Um from late March to, you know, the end of April or whatever. But really, other than that, we've been open. 
Um, and so even if we were in small groups where we had 10 or so in the weight room, yeah, I mean, it kind of sucked for me and, and uh, a couple of my, all of our assistants are involved, but some of them don't teach. So they weren't here all the time, but you know, we had weight rooms set up where we were every hour and 15 minutes and we started at seven o'clock and you went until noon. And then we still had two more sessions that started at four and then went till five 30 that night. So we were running eight groups of 10 kids through at a time. And uh, it's the price you have to pay. So I, I am very hopeful that we never have to go back to that, but that, that is a, a system. So we really haven't missed that much. And then when and we started install, so our camp was the last week of May and we installed uh, the last week of May and have been at it all the way through. Knock on wood, we have not had a positive COVID case on our, on our squad yet. I feel like we're doing things the right way, but I also feel like that's been the grace of God. I mean, it's a virus. It's not like we're doing something extra special. We just haven't been hit by it yet. Um, and uh, hopefully we don't, but again, it would just be a hope. Uh, we've, we've had several kids that are quarantined due to close contact from somebody. Um, and that would have been really difficult to handle, especially the way we're practicing right now is we practice on Tuesdays with the whole team. We practice on the linemen only on Wednesdays, and then we practice skill kids only on Friday nights under the lights when they're playing seven-on-seven -seven games. So we're going as a coaching staff three days a week and as a, as a team two days a week. So, um, and, and so far, so good. You know, it's, it's not uh, perfect. But like this weekend, just to show you how our administration, we have band, chorus, cheerleader, dance, and JV and varsity football. And it's our real men wear pink and it'll be under the lights. And then we have people that have just taken down the corn past uh, our, our field. And they're actually hosting a, uh, a bonfire and a, um, you know, kind of a homecoming-ish tailgate. And it's obviously us playing us, but you know, I expect there to be a few people there. So, uh, and right now, the way our administration's working, but we get direct family members and then the team gets four, four guests. Um, and, you know, we've been doing that every Friday night since we've been allowed to. And, and uh, I think this is number six this week. So six weeks in and haven't had any issues again. Yeah, I'll say, do you have, the, do you have a vaccine down there you could ship up to me so we can get going? <laughs> I uh, I do feel for the schools that are not in school at all. We're also in person, um, which I think is a huge deal. So, um, you know, I, I just pray that it all goes away soon. So uh, we've, we've got to get the winter sports season started on time to give the rest of us a chance to be able to play. Yeah, that's my big fear right now is what's going to happen with that. Um, We'll jump to that in a second. So I just want to ask you about, could you describe to me, I'll, I may never touch the field for a state title game. What was it like coaching your first state title? Because you guys played Westville that year. And, and, yes. and I was a player. I was a sophomore. That Westville team was good. And I, I just remember you guys coming and playing them, playing them tough. That was a good Westville team. And then you guys played them the next year, I think, too. It was uh, in the playoffs. Um, so what was it like coaching your first state title game? Like, I may never you know, see that. Our, so. that. That group, 
that group of kids in 2006 was probably as good as any 2A football team that I've ever seen. I mean, to, to be honest, we just didn't have a lot of weaknesses. You know, our, our, we, we had a kid that went to uh, Truman State, so a Division two football player. I had a kid uh, go and start at Princeton for all four years. My quarterback went to Eastern. Um, the, the kid that led the state and uh, catches touchdowns and receiving yards, went and played Division One basketball at U of I Chicago. Uh, I mean, we were just stupid good. So hats off to that Westville team. is still one of the best teams that we've ever played when we've been at state, and they proved it by going back to state again the, the following year after us. Um, and we met up in a quarterfinal, and, and uh, at that point, I think we had won like 25 or 26 games in a row, and the pressure was – huge on our kids and uh um i don't know how derek does it at rochester i do know when he they lost finally to altoff and like after five straight state titles or whatever he it was almost a relief that you uh um, get that way and i had kind of got that way myself with our program and and uh just trying to enjoy the victories rather than we didn't play perfect or we didn't win by 40 or we didn't shut them out or whatever it was. So going back to that first state title game, none of that existed. Like we were just trying to make our way in the world. We went to the semifinals in 2004, which had been my third year after my third year here and uh, kind of had built that up and uh, you know the kids that were eighth graders when I got here bought into all our program they were all out and like I said that we surprised a ton of people and went to the semifinals that year and then the following year um, we we ended up being 10 and 0 at one point we lose to St. Teresa at our place in the playoffs um, and, and it was a great ball game and it was probably what propelled us to our 2006 state championship because those kids you know were motivated and coming into the year um it was just stay out of their way really we were we were really good and so as far as enjoying it i did when it was over but uh you know we felt that pressure you know to to be there and i just has hadn't won as many games you know as as we have now and you know getting to play in some of those big games was great. And now you just kind of take it for granted. So it was just a totally different experience then uh, from where we are now. And, you know, I'm, uh, after my first state title appearance, we're one and one. I think I've had eight of them now and I'm two and six. So uh, maybe I was better off to be oblivious back then. So <laughs> I was getting ready to say, like, when you go now, is it just normal? Like, oh, we're, this is Memorial Stadium. This is, Husky Stadium is it just a normal thing now like I've been here I already know I know the, the doors uh, I know the cracks in the wall and without sounding conceited it really is I mean our kids legitimately expect to go to a state championship every year and are kind of disappointed along with our community when we don't um so that um I know it sounds terrible but I, I don't know I think we've been there eight times in the last 13 years or something like that. So it's more of a surprise when we're not there, honestly, or not expected uh, to, to be there. And God willing, this class that we have of 2021 has another golden opportunity to be there if we can get a playoff system set up. Yeah, I don't know how Derek handles that year in and year out. 
when they didn't build that one year, I heard a lot of rumblings. I was like, wait a minute. He won five in a row, and now he's not there. Like, and then I, I was hoping they were going to play Immaculate Conception a couple years ago. I scouted Immaculate Conception for yeah. him and, and Steve. I was like, hey, I'll go watch their offense. And then that's when uh, uh, the Kankakee team uh, won. Uh, Bishop McAmara won instead. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so anytime you guys play a Chicago team, I'll go scout them. I'll drive over for anybody down Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so anybody listening, Illinois has been a dumpster fire to be nice about it, not to get anybody in trouble. Um, I don't know if you want to say you were a spokesperson, but you guys, you and, and Derek and his dad kind of started the let us play thing. Like, it seemed like that's where it started, where I saw it from my aspect. What was like the final straw that broke the camel's back for you guys to just say, we've had enough, we're going to start speaking out. And because a lot of us, like, we're all nervous to speak out because of our jobs or whatever. So what kind of it was just like, I'm done. We're going to speak out on Illinois and the high school thing. Uh, fortunately for me, I, I have, I think, a, a great community and administration that supports me uh, and promotes, promotes freedom of speech so um you know just because i'm saying it doesn't mean they necessarily agree although i think in many cases they do so that that helps a little bit um also been in education for 24 years you know i'm down to my last nine so i think that helps a little <laughs> bit too if you are young and uh, um and obviously with Derek and Ken, you know, um, I don't think either of them are overly worried about their job security. Um, it's all about the kids for me and uh, the kids deserve better. Um, I finally snapped in late July, mainly because we didn't have a plan uh, about how we were gonna attack this. The IHSA hadn't released what they were going to do. Pritzker hadn't said what he was going to do. And these kids were riding this emotional roller coaster. And then he has his hasty um, announcement right before the IHSA comes on an announcement. And mm -hmm. I, at least for me, that is when I could not handle it. I don't even have Facebook, so I'm not a huge social media guy i do have i honestly got into twitter after a former boss of mine um had suggested you know you could pick up a lot of great stuff a lot of great quotes you know just little stuff and i kind of got into it and uh, so normally i would not be promoting um anything other than my kids on twitter but you know, I've kind of taken this ball and ran with it because I feel like somebody does have to be vocal and be speaking up and, and I'm, I'm willing to do that. And I know you know, but not everybody does. But I also have a senior son that has been, you know, has, has waited 17 years to, to get his shot here and he's grown up around this and he spent a lot of time not having a dad around because his dad's off with, uh, you know, another group of guys. And uh, so that helped hit at home. I also have an eighth grade daughter in, in volleyball. She plays in two different club volleyball leagues right now. She's playing all the volleyball she could possibly play, but yet our high school girls can't. It just doesn't make any sense. And so that was when I finally had enough. And, and so I started really speaking up then. And then other states started opening that were closed 
and that was the final straw you know the the virus doesn't know borders it doesn't know that it got to iowa so it was supposed to stop or it went you know east of us and so it went to indiana and it stopped at danville i mean you know danville and covington indiana are five miles apart and you can play in covington but you can't play i mean doesn't even make sense so um that that was where I got on board, and as more and more states opened up, we actually were putting together plans for us to open up late, and of course that was shot down. At this point, um, I would just like some guarantees that we're going to be open for this spring season, and if we are, um, I, I feel like our kids, and not just our kids, but everybody, if the IHSA says our season needs to be a total of 12 weeks, then we would rather have it reworked in a different way. And uh, so I'm part of a, of a group of coaches and uh, endorsed by the Coaches Association that is putting together a plan that will allow us a less regular season. And still got your guaranteed seven games that the IHSA is telling you, so regardless of program, but we would also name state champs, you know, at the end of ours and get a playoff system. And I think it makes sense for a lot of reasons, but uh, giving kids the opportunity um, not just to play, but to compete for something that means something, I think is, is a huge deal. Yeah, well, you just said your plan is simple, so the state won't listen to it if it's too simple. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, I, I, I'm paraphrasing. I remember you tweeting it, and you said, like, I never do this, but, and I saw that, I was like, if he's saying it, it it's gone, this is, it's, it's a dumpster fire, basically, is, is, is what's going on, and I don't know if we're going to play in the spring the way they keep talking. And I'm like, yeah, and you've got to keep faith. Our kids need hope and be able to hang their hat on something right now. Our kids still train, but do we have kids that are falling through the cracks right now? Yes. Uh, remote learning scares me. Uh, we, we have 78% of our kids are in person, but that's still 22% of ours that are at home and remote. And uh, I have a handful of football players that are doing that, that need the consistency of being at school every day and need the consistency of looking forward to athletics or activities to keep them motivated to graduate from high school so that they become successful members. The, to me, the prolonged effects of this are going to be way worse than any of them getting COVID so, uh, would have. And, uh, and I think the science is backing that up right now, which is equally as frustrating when, you know, that whole argument, if we name randomly that, you know, the science, the science, the science will show it to me, you know, and uh, I'm not sure I'm seeing that everywhere. No, when they, when they just said he's talking to other states about their COVID outbreaks due to sports, and I'm like, where? Like, I don't see it. Um, like when he blamed, I'm up here by Lake Zurich. When he called out Lake Zurich, they were hot. And they said, we didn't yeah. even have, we didn't have camp. He said, they showed up. We were doing the temperature. Something wasn't right. So we told him to go home and we shut it down. He wants to say they were doing sports and let's not do that. He called out Tescola. I laughed at that. They went off and I was loving it. Yep. Okay. You've got to call, you've got to call it out. And like I said, any story can fit the narrative An outbreak can be one person and then it sends home 30 kids. But on in reality, it's one kid that had a virus that sent home 30, which sounds like an outbreak, but nobody else even has it. And they're totally in, especially when we're talking athletes in high school, these kids are not a danger. I mean, they're, they are way more 
dangerous. They just we just left the weight room, Steve, when you uh, were starting this call. I'm way more worried about any of them driving home from Moreau to Forsyth than I am any of them getting COVID. So, and the stats will back that up. The odds of them surviving a car wreck are way worse than they are of them uh, getting COVID and not not surviving it. So, I could go on and on about my my feelings on that, but I mean. It, it is what it is, and I'm not, not going to hide behind those. So, I said the same thing, especially up here when I have to drive on 88 up here, and everybody knows Chicago 88 is a four or five lane road. I'm more worried about kids driving that. I'm scared to drive yeah. that, let alone then go to the grocery <laughs> store. Like, I'm used to the two lane country road, and now I'm going to do this and uh, do all that. Um, so, you kind of answer it, but I'll ask it if you want to add anything to it. When, when JB was, when they shut everything down, I, so, I hate social media sometimes. People are posting. They were glad sports was shut down. They could understand why a parent would risk their kid's life for a sport. It doesn't matter. And I kind of went off on some of it. Like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? So, like, why does sports matter? Like, let's just get that out of the way for people that just don't understand, that are so narrow-minded. Like, why do sports matter? Like, they well, just don't get it, it. if they don't think it does, then pro we're probably not going to convince them that it does. But I am here to tell you, I am personally here. Uh, and maybe some people consider me I'm not successful, but I, I've got a college degree. I've got a couple master's degrees uh, and, and sports made that for me. Not that anybody was paying for me to go to school, but they gave me that dedication and drive and teamwork and hard work and all of the things that we teach to our kids. Um, and, and without sports, I would not have got that at home. And I have a lot of kids that have that same boat. Um, my stable to family income, not saying it's not, but they're going to be successful regardless. You know, a lot of kids are, but there's a lot of kids that won't make it. And those kids are going to fall through the cracks if we don't get this uh, open. And so as far as convincing people, if you weren't an athlete, you didn't go through it, maybe that's some of their bitterness uh, even about it. Is it the only way that you can make those? Absolutely not. I have a son that's a junior at Carbondale. He is super successful and he got involved in our FFA program and Cassie Crouch, our FFA director here at Moroa, is outstanding. So he found out leadership and being on time and you know all of those skills. So you can learn them but again that's an activity and all of her activities are shut down also it's not just football that is not playing so if you pay any attention to me at all it's not been just let these kids play football it's yeah. let them out for anything that any activity that keeps them in school at, at a school of her own size i think we have 86 percent of our kids are involved in something so we have 14% of our kids that weren't going to be involved in something at Moroa. 86% were, and in the fall season, I think we have about 18 that are actually participating in something because we were only allowed cross-country golf and tennis, and that covered 18 of our kids. Normally in the fall, I would say over 200 would be involved in something right now. I worry about those kids every day. Yeah, I, at East Aurora, that was the first time I saw like a low-income like kids. We had peanut butter jelly sandwiches on game days. They took some home. That was their dinner. And so when I saw people post that, that was my first experience because I'm from Oakwood. We don't see that. Seeing that opened my eyes. And when someone says that, I'm like, do you realize what you're doing to this kid? He lives with his grandma. He lives with a brother. They can't. We had the team meals. We gave them to the kids to take home. 
And one kid goes, can my mom have this? She can't afford dinner tonight. Like, and sports was able to do that. That's just a small piece of it. Um, or a kid got abused at home and his way of out, it was, was football or, or, or sports. Like, that was just a huge thing up here in the suburbs to see. Like, Absolutely. And I think it's still a travesty that those kids are. I mean, you got a lot of kids that aren't in school. I mean, just what you're talking about, but that's their school lunch. That's their early morning start to their breakfast on, on top of the education that they're missing. It's just a safe place for them to be. And, um, and, and, and who knows what the repercussions of this are going to be 20 years down the road when these kids are the leaders in our workforce or are supposed to be anyway. Yeah, because remote learning, we've been all remote since this started, and kids are not on the camera, they're not at their computer, so we don't know what's going on, we can't hold them accountable, we can't do this, what's going to happen with that? I'm talking to our football players, like, why are you failing three classes, you're remote learning, turn the work in, and they're like, well, I'm just lazy, I'm doing this, like, that's what's going to happen, and yep. it's a downhill effect. Um, JB, if you ever listen to this, can you just change your freaking mind? I hope I don't see you walking around <laughs> Chicago, yes. <laughs> you know he's not in Springfield. He never goes to Springfield. Yeah, that, that's uh, for sure. Uh, well, Coach, that's all I had for you. I'd like to keep it short and sweet. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. It was a great honor to have a coach with your stature be on here, um, especially in Illinois. Um, I hope we play in the spring. Um, I'll root for you guys down there. If you see Hogan, tell him to drive up here and visit me. I don't know what he's doing, <laughs> but... He calls me. Picking corn so right now, I'm sure. Oh, when he calls me, he's in the combine, and I can hear this, this, and that. And, uh, you got to get him back into coaching, too. Can you convince him to? Yeah. I tried to. I tried to. I mean, his son was playing at St. T. It was going to be pretty tough So uh, to, to be here. But he doesn't have that anymore. So. No, he has no excuse. He told me he was going to, and yeah. then COVID hit. So then he was like, I don't know if I want to touch that right now. Um. But, Coach, I appreciate you. Uh, anybody out there that's listening, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.